Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 60 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, it's my regular monthly questions and answers. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Well, it's been another eventful week here in Norfolk. I've managed to tweak my recurring back problem again, and that's causing some fun issues for me, as you can imagine, particularly when I tried to put my socks on. However, it happened after we moved around 50 of our colonies to the oilseed rape pollination, and I think it was probably just tiredness and no doubt a bit of laziness that caused it. So I'm resting it up for a few days, and hopefully it will be fine. I really must look into some of that lifting gear to help move hives around more easily on and off the pickup truck. Perhaps that's something I can report back on in a later podcast. I've no experience with lifting gear, so it's something I need to investigate thoroughly. And hopefully I can find some equipment that's going to help. So this week is my regular questions and answers session. Thank you to everyone over on my Patreon page for submitting some really great questions for this month. And there's lots of them, so let's get stuck into them straight away. First up, we have a question from Ben Hone. Hi Ben, thanks for the question. Ben asks, I have heard that reversing deeps in a two deep 10 frame configuration can help reduce swarm tendencies. Is that true? If so... When's a good time to do that? And any advice on how best to do it and what to watch out for? Ben gives some context and says, I have two very strong hives out of three coming out of the winter. They have eight frames wide of bees in the top box. My concern is that they might not fill the lower box and think they're out of space. One hive is not using the lower entrance at all currently. Both are two weeks into drone rearing and still appear to be fairly light when hefting them. I heard that by reversing the boxes you can encourage them to build up, filling up the less full what would then be the upper box after reversing it from its lower position, and therefore discouraging swarming. What do you think? Well, hi Ben. I think you've almost answered the question for me, actually. I've heard beekeepers talk about this as well, and although I've never practiced it myself, I think a lot depends on the type of bees you have and whether they fill the brood boxes fully, or if there is additional space that the bees can utilise. I would also say that a lot depends on your reasons for keeping bees in a double brood box setup. For me, the vast majority of my bees are very happy in a single commercial brood box, and I only double up if I intend splitting at some point during that season. But focusing on your specific question, and I'm in agreement with your comments, I suspect it may help with swarming if the bees have plenty of space in the bottom box because the brood nest will naturally move up into the top box and expand there. So this will leave the bottom box relatively empty, maybe with just some stores in some of the frames, the rest being put above the queen excluder in the honey boxes or supers. By reversing the boxes, you immediately give the brood area more space and the queen can move up and continue to lay in the newly available cells above. And I suspect that's the reason people say that it can help reduce swarming. I'd certainly give it a try and I'm sure that it will probably help. So um, please do let me know how you get on, Ben. Next up is a question from Charlie Edge. Charlie asks, 
when would be the earliest you would commence splitting? Also, if you did an artificial swarm, is there anything wrong with splitting the queen cells down into two or three frame nukes instead of leaving one cell in the original brood box? Well, hi, Charlie. That's such a good question and perfectly timed for a lot of beginner beekeepers out there. Unless you have a specific setup for breeding and rearing queens, I would say wait, wait, wait. So many beekeepers attempt to split colonies way too early and they get set back by cold weather, which almost seems to cause a bigger delay than if they'd left them a month longer before splitting. And this month is a perfect example. We've had some very warm weather through March and yet we're now into a very cold spell in April. And if you tried to split during that warm spell, you'd probably find that the bees would be held back quite dramatically now while we're going through this very cold spell. And they seem to take a little bit longer to get going once they uh, once the weather warms up again. Smaller colonies, that's the splits that you've made, have to work so much harder than full-size colonies at regulating colony temperature. And this early in the spring, the weather fluctuates so much that small splits can get dangerously cold at night. So my advice is to wait until the daytime temperatures allow regular inspections and overnight temperatures exclude morning frosts. For me, here in Norfolk in the UK, that's going to be very late April and early May, that kind of date. Your second part of the question regarding splitting a colony into two or three frame nukes using available queen cells is something that I do on a regular basis and it works really well. Just be mindful that if you're operating in the same apiary that flying bees will head back to the original stand position but if you have access to an out apiary it's a great way to increase quickly. Just remember my comment about temperature fluctuation and don't try to do it too early. Our next question comes from William Davis, who asks about essential equipment. Hi, Stuart. What essential honey extracting equipment do you have? I'm interested in everything you use in your honey room. Uncapping frames through to bottling your honey, separating honey from wax cappings, etc. What else might be on your wish list of kit you don't already have, which would make your life quicker and easier, like a wax melting centrifuge? Thanks, Will. Well, that's a great question. I will produce a video showing my honey room when we get our first crop off this season. But let me give you a list of what I currently have. I uncap my frames using an electric brush uncapper. Uh, this is a large nylon brush that spins around really quickly and you hold the frames up against it to uncap from the honey super frames. I have this fixed over a Swenty Appy Melter and that's a large chest warming cabinet that warms the honey and melts wax. The frames go into the extractor which is a 20 frame Carl Fritz electric radial extractor and once extracted the honey is drained through a double strainer and stored in buckets and I tend to use 30 pound or 15 kilo buckets. It's a fairly straightforward setup in a very confined space and my honey room is only three meters square but I can process around 40 supers of honey at a time and as it currently stands it works out really well for me. I then have my 100 kilo Carl Fritz creaming settling tank and to that I have attached my Swenty bottling machine. 
And so I bottle directly from the creaming settling tank, although I don't always use it as a creamer. I just use it as a settling tank uh, a lot of the time. Looking at the equipment I have on my wish list, I would like to get a honey wax separator. Um, I'm currently investigating several options here, so watch out for news of this later in the season. Other than that, I think I probably just need to have a larger honey room, but that's unlikely to happen for a season or two, so we'll just have to wait and see. But the setup that I've got uh, works very well for, I would say, probably up to 100 hives. Well, I hope that helps. Next up is a question from Julian Keenleyside, who asks, Hi Stuart, I'd like to know if there is any mileage in treating bees in the spring for Varroa as a precaution to keep the numbers down, or only if there is an issue. Also, whether Max harms the Queen. Thanks for any advice. Well, again, another great question. Thanks, Julian. And yes, there is plenty of mileage in treating bees in the spring if you have a Varroa problem. And this is where using the Varroa board can sometimes help, or uncapping drone so that you can have a look to see whether there's any Varroa building up in those drone cells. The whole Varroa treatment issue is such a major topic, and there are so many ways of tackling this particular challenge. Having looked at a lot of research on the matter, I'm going down the oxalic acid winter treatments route as my regular main treatment with a late summer, early autumn supplemental treatment. Max is a great product that I've used to good effect with no real obvious harm to the queens, but at the same time, I have had colonies abscond when I've used it. So the treatment of colonies needs to be carefully managed and you need to follow some fairly strict guidelines on how much you use so that you don't overdose smaller colonies. The great benefit of Max is the very short treatment time and the fact that it can be used when there are honey supers on the hive. It's really important to give them plenty of space and to make sure that you use the right dosage level and it can work really well. But whatever route you choose to go, Julian, just monitor your bees and the varroa levels and be proactive in controlling the mites in your colonies. I hope that helps and watch out for more on varroa later in the coming months. Next up is a question from Paula Barmby who says, Hi Stuart, I'd value some advice on if it's too late in the season to start from scratch, or sting, as Paula says. Hive bees et al. What would be your suggestion regarding setting up in April, and which bees are docile bees, and do you mail packs or nukes? I'm about to finish a beekeeping course. Many thanks. Hi Paula, thanks for the question, and I am so excited for you starting beekeeping this year. Congratulations. Now is the perfect time to get started in beekeeping. Late April, early May, that's a really good time to get started. The bees are coming out of the winter, they're building up and getting stronger day by day. You'll possibly be hard-pressed to find an overwintered nucleus colony for sale, but you could try the guys at BS Honey or Paul at Happy Valley Honey. I know and trust both of these teams, and I'm sure they'll be able to give you some help and advice in providing a suitable nucleus colony to get started the vast majority of local bees you'll find are probably across of various subspecies of honeybees and as such their temperament will vary as well if you explain you're a beginner and looking for your first colony i'm sure you'll get some good bees to handle 
but do start with a nucleus colony and don't be tempted to get a full-size colony. The nucleus will be small enough to allow you to gain confidence in handling them, but not so big that they represent a daunting challenge for your first few months as a beekeeper. Uh, inspecting a fully loaded beehive that's bursting with bees can be quite daunting to the beginner beekeeper. So go down the nucleus route and just try to build it up through the summer. Uh, personally, I don't mail out bees apart from the occasional queens that I have available through the summer months, but I'm sure the guys that I've mentioned will be able to help. If not, drop me a direct message and I'll see what I can do to help you out further. Jimmy Hoffler is next up with a question. And Jimmy says, Hi, I left a super on over winter and now it's full of brood and stores along with the brood box. I added a queen excluder and a second super. Would this hive be suitable to split into two nukes when queen cells are being made? while keeping this hive. I've watched your video from 2017 and it looks fairly straightforward. I'm going into my second year as a beekeeper. Well hi Jimmy and thanks for the question. Splitting colonies is a great way of increasing the number of colonies you have and it sounds like your colony is building up really nicely. If you've watched the two nukes from one parent colony video then you're halfway there already. It's a simple process and following the steps in the video should set you up nicely with a really good increase. I would reduce the colony back down to a single brood rather than a brood and a half. It just makes inspecting a lot easier and you're less likely to miss hidden queen cells and lose a swarm. But other than that, follow the steps in the video and do keep me posted on how it goes. Next up is a question from Christopher Hindle. Hello Stuart, how do you recommend dealing with a swarm caught in a bait hive? that may or may not have come from one of your hives. Is it necessary to move the bait hive several miles away for a month or so before returning it to the home apiary? Or is it sufficient just to shut them up in the hive for three days or so, then release them in the home apiary? So this is a question about disease management, really, and it's really timely as we head into the swarm season. If you have the ability to use an out apiary as an isolation apiary, then I would always move any caught swarms into that apiary for a few months to keep an eye on its condition. If you don't have an out apiary, I would isolate them at my home apiary, making a point to separate them as far as I could to ensure the likelihood of drifting is kept to an absolute minimum. Reduce the entrance to prevent robbing, but don't keep them trapped in for three days. This could cause other problems. Watch them carefully and always wash your hands and hive tools after inspecting that new colony. Watch closely for developing brood and ensure that it looks normal. If you have any doubts, call in your bee inspector or another experienced beekeeper and get a second opinion. If you put safety first, then everything should be fine. And I very rarely have had problems with any swarms that I've collected, but it is important that you isolate them and just make sure that they're okay. Steve Hancock asks... Hi Stuart, what's your opinion on how to set up national hives? Single brood, double brood, brood and a half, or 14 by 12? Well, hi Steve, this is such a tricky question. If you can give me a moment or two, I'm just trying to find a fence that I can sit on. As you probably know, I'm mostly on commercial brood boxes because they're a larger size that allows most of my colonies enough room for their brood nests without the need for additional boxes. National hives are, in my opinion, just a little too small for some colonies and way too small for the most vigorous ones. 
My preference is a single brood box for ease of proper inspections. Having to remove a top box and go through as many as 24 frames in one colony just takes so much time. If you've only got a small number of colonies, then that doesn't really represent quite the same problem. But if I was forced to use nationals, though, I think I would go with the 14 by 12. That allows me to stick with a single brood box, and it's not too far different from the commercial 16 by 10s. If you've already got national brood boxes, you can add something called a Hamilton converter, which will allow 14 by 12 frames to fit into the national brood box. But again, that's a lot of wooden components when you could just have four bits of wood that makes up a commercial brood box. I'm sure there are lots of beekeepers out there with a wide range of views, as with most things in beekeeping. And double brood, brood and a half, single brood, all of those different setups work really well. So I guess what I'm saying is you just have to make your choice and see how things go. I'm really not sure that that's helped answer your question, Steve. But for me, I would go with a single brood box, but I would make it probably the 14 by 12. Next up is another question from Christopher Hindle. And he says, hello again, Stuart. A second question following my first spring inspections. One colony was extremely vicious, stinging me five times through leather gloves on my face through the veil, on my back through my bee suit, and then I had about 20 bees follow me 30 metres from the hive. Question is, how do you go about finding and destroying a queen in a really difficult colony prior to re-queening? Ouch! Being stung through your leather gloves. They must really love you, Christopher. It's what I call a double glove colony, but that's two pairs of nitrile gloves, not two pairs of leather gloves, although it sounds like you might need them. Uh, so, how to find the queen in a colony that's gone rogue? You need help. Uh, <laughs> uh, you need help. More eyes make for a greater chance to spot the queen quickly. So, firstly, call in a favour from another beekeeper or promise cake. I mean, if you promise cake, most beekeepers will come running. Next, together, move the hive about 5 or 10 metres away from its original stand position. Place a nuke box or a second hive on the stand at the original position and then go away have a cup of coffee and that cake and remove any stings that you might have already collected give it plenty of time maybe half an hour or so what you're trying to do is to get as many of the flying bees out of the original colony as possible to reduce the number of bees in that brood box to make it easier to spot the queen all of the flying bees are going to go back to that original position that will reduce the numbers quite dramatically in the original brood box. Try to do an inspection when it's nice and warm and there's a nectar flow on. That generally seems to give you calmer bees. At this point, you've not opened the hive, so they should be, dare I say it, relatively calm. Be brave, suit up and go back out. Smoker in hand, make sure you've got a well-lit smoker and you've got plenty of smoke available to you. But don't go crazy with the smoker to start with. Just see how the bees respond and inspect the hive with the queen inside it. So that's the old hive that you've moved away. You should now have a really good chance of finding her. And of course, if she's marked, then she should hopefully be easier to spot. Once you've found her, you can move the hive back to its original position shake out the bees from either the nuke or the additional box that you put in place and then requeen them. Good luck with it and please do let me know how you get on. 
Nikki Gores has sent in an altogether less frantic question. Hi, Stuart. I live in Minnesota, and one of my overwintered colonies came through the winter three deeps full of bees. Wow, that's great. However, hardly any blossoms are out and probably won't be out for a few weeks. I am concerned about swarming, of course, once the weather warms up. At the moment, they're fed with a one-to-one syrup and pollen patties. How can I be proactive in moving forward with such a colony so it won't end up in a tree somewhere? Well, hi, Nikki, and thanks so much for the question. I I understand your concerns. Three deeps full of bees is a fantastic success coming out of the winter. You must be very pleased with that. I certainly would be, but I do understand that you're worrying about swarming, and I think it's one that we all share. Giving them enough space to expand into is crucial in the early season once the nectar flow kicks in. That brood nest will expand rapidly, and if you've already got three boxes of bees, then uh, that's, that's quite a massive colony. Do keep an eye out for drones and swarm cells and make that one of your regular inspection tasks. For me, I follow a three strikes and you're out rule with my swarming colonies. If I find queen cells that indicate swarming, so those are generally the cells that you find at the bottom of the frames, I make sure that I remove them all. Sometimes this can be enough to prevent a colony from swarming. The next week, during another inspection, I check again for swarm cells, and again, if I find any, I remove all of them. So that's twice. The following week, if the colony insists on producing more swarm cells, I act. Normally, I remove the queen into a nuke box with the minimum number of frames to keep her well looked after, maybe a frame of emerging brood and a frame of food, and then some drawn frames of empty comb. That will keep her happy, and then I remove all but one of the queen cells and let the original colony produce another queen. At this point, with a brood break, the colony will go on to forage and maximise a honey crop as they have little or no brood to look after. And this works really well for me here, usually around early June, as any bees emerging will likely be my summer forages and the old queen can go on to head up an overwintered nuke or be replaced with a new younger queen from my queen rearing program. Ultimately, all you can do is your very best to prevent them swarming, but sometimes they still go. It does sound like you have some fantastic bees there, so good luck in hanging on to them. And uh, if they continue to try to swarm, then I think you just need to requeen them. Steve Galpin is up next, and this is our final question for this week. Steve asks, Hi Stuart, I'm thinking of placing a couple of bait hives around my garden. Suggested tips I've read are place at a height of around 15 to 20 feet in an old brood box with two or three old frames. Your thoughts? Well, hi Steve, thanks for a very timely question. Bait hives are a great way to recover a swarm from your own hives or pick up a new one from some other unfortunate beekeeper. I've tried bait hives in all sorts of positions and used all manner of essential oils and bought-in pheromone lures. And still, I have swarms descend on empty boxes or in bushes next to the bait hive or hanging from branches just below bait hives. In fact, I think I've collected far more swarms from nearby bait hives than I've collected inside bait hives. That said... Last year I had some success with the following setup. I used a nuke box with several older empty combs, a drop or two of lemongrass essential oil and 
when I say a drop or two, I literally mean just one or two drops of lemongrass oil. Uh, I place that on top of a stack of unused supers, about I suppose about seven feet tall, and then strap it all down to a pallet so that it doesn't get blown over in any high winds. I'm really not one for climbing trees, as you may have seen when I collected the swarm in the bird box last year, so I tend not to put bait hives up too high. I normally keep one on top of my garage roof, as there's some beekeepers that live fairly close to me, but other than that, I tend to leave bait hives somewhere in the apiary, out of the way, and usually forgotten. Sometimes I win, sometimes I don't. I did just this last year and caught a swarm in one apiary. I did it in another and the swarm ended up not just beneath the bait box in the supers but beneath the pallet of supers in a hollow made by rabbits. So again with most things beekeeping I would say give it a try and see what happens but please do take care if you decide to climb a tree and let me know how you get on if you're trying to catch a swarm and what success you have. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and please do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>